Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We've been in a series called Who is My Neighbor? And what we've been after is kingdom unity in a divided world. Kingdom unity in a divided world. And it's been interesting to see the twists and the turns of this past week. I mean, uh, you, you don't need to just, you just need to flip on your TV and see that we, we live in a divided world, a very divided world. And so what we're after is where can we find Jesus amidst a, the brokenness and the division of our world today? Where is Jesus ushering us into a sense of unity? And part of that, part of that, a huge part of that is found in this idea of repentance. So we're going to talk about repentance this morning. And specifically, we're going to talk about communal repentance. What does it mean for a nation to repent, to turn? Where do we see that happening in Scripture? What does that mean for us this morning and moving forward in our everyday lives, uh, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, in this complex, divided world? What does repentance look like for our nation, for our world? And I wanted to just take a few minutes— Um, I know it might seem awkward for those of you who are tuning in online or whatever, but this is a practice and a rhythm that we've really come to enjoy at Vineyard Cleveland, and we've connected with the Lord over. Um, So we're just going to spend a few minutes in silence together, in shared silence. And I just want to invite you to hear God's voice over your life. I thought it was really important what Sarah had mentioned during worship, that he is just smiling over us that he loves you and you're not forsaken. I felt that um, a few days ago, that that's really important to get said this morning, that Jesus has not forsaken you. And a huge part of repentance is hearing the Father's thoughts over our life and hearing the voice of Jesus and then acting on the voice that we hear. So we're going to take a couple minutes and just share silence together. And I encourage you to ask the Lord to speak to you this morning, as only he can. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Yes, Lord, we welcome your presence. We're grateful for your presence among us. I just pray that uh, you would awaken us inside to hear your voice and live. I pray for each one that's tuning in this morning. We'd sense your presence wherever and whenever they're hearing this or sharing this silence with us. I just pray a sense of your presence for all of us, your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I, I was, my mind was drifting there for a little bit, and I thought, like, this is what they call on TV broadcast dead air. But this is not a TV broadcast. This is the church. And so it's, it's less awkward than I like to make it. And it's more uh, rich and just the goodness of God that we get to share silence together. We hear his voice in silence. We are still and we know 
that he is God. So yeah, we're going to talk about repentance today and corporate or communal repentance. And basically the foundation of um, this talk is that we need it. We need repentance. And we're going to see how that's based in Scripture throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to kind of juxtapose communal repentance um, to individual repentance and how those are different and how those are the same and how Jesus talks about that. And um, so it'll be a fun little journey together. Um, But basically, we need it. We need to repent. We need to turn. And to define repentance is, is kind of tough to get our heads around, but basically it's that we're turning. And whenever I talk about repentance, I love to emphasize who we're turning to as opposed to what we're turning away from. Now, we want to acknowledge what we're turning away from. We're turning away from evil things, wicked things, and we're turning towards a big, loving God who is our Father and welcomes us back with open arms. So the emphasis this this morning is on who we're uh, turning towards. And you may say, like me sometimes in our arrogance, we say, well, what do I have to repent for? What's wrong with me, God? I don't see anything wrong with me. Little old me, I'm not offending anyone. I'm not, I'm not walking in wickedness. Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans would have to say otherwise. I'd, I just, this struck me as so huge this week. In Romans 1, 28 through 32, we read this. Furthermore, since they, Paul's talking to all of us here, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God... He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're Stop it, Paul. No, he doesn't stop there. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Please make it stop. No, here's the pinnacle. They invent ways. Here's the truth about the human heart. Ready? They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. They invent, we invent ways. We are clever. You say, well, I don't see that happening in my life or nationally or corporately or communally or on the globe. Take a look at the Industrial Revolution. The turn of the 1900s as the world is mechanizing. It took a mere 45 years for a group called the Nazis to figure out how to industrialize murder on a massive scale to the tune of six million people. We as people, we invent ways of doing evil. We take that image of God inside of all of us We're made to look like him, to be like him. And we sense that creative urge and desire in us, and then we twist it in our broken ways of doing evil. 
Well, I want to make good on my promise to you this morning. We're not going to stay too far in the dumps. You say, okay, great. We've already talked about all of the seven deadly sins and mass murder this morning. Where can we go? It can only go up from here. Uh, So we want to focus on who we're turning towards, who we're turning towards. And a big part of this is the Jewish festivals. We're turning to Yahweh, God. In Leviticus 16 through 21, Moses outlines a festival. And it's called Yom Kippur. And the Jews, the Jewish people celebrate Yom Kippur every year, still to this day, just without the animal sacrifices. And listen to what happens in this festival. And Yom Kippur, by the way, is not similar to a lot of the other Jewish festivals where there's feasting and joy and all of this. Yom Kippur is more toned down. It's more somber in the way that the Jewish people celebrate this festival. Listen to what happens. Leviticus 16, 21 and 22. He is to lay, the priest, Aaron, he is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed to the task. Check this out. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it into the desert. Now, we use this term today called scapegoat. How many of you guys have heard that term? It's used in a different context these days. But here, what Moses is describing in Leviticus is this idea of a scapegoat. That there would be three animals, a bull and two goats, and one of them, uh, two of them will be slaughtered, and then the blood of that, uh, those animals will be placed as an offering on the live goat, and then that goat giddy up out into the desert carrying the sins of the nation. It's a pretty bloody thing to be witnessing. This idea of the scapegoat literally, before Jesus, right? Literally carrying the sins of the nation on its back, away from the people. And this sacrificing of animals, this sacrifice of Yom Kippur, it continued every year as the temple was still up in Israel. And so every year, the goat would be brought to the priest. And every year, the priest would lay his hands on the goat. And every year, the goat would take the sins of the nation away from the people. Yeah, we need repentance as a nation. We see it here in the nation of Israel modeled for us. And it starts with hearing the voice of God. So many times in Scripture, we're told that we are to hear the Lord's voice. And that is the precursor, or that is the prerequisite to repentance. We can't repent without hearing from God first. In Jeremiah 26.3, we read this, Perhaps they will listen, they will listen, and everyone will turn from his evil way. It takes open ears and open hearts to hear that we need to repent, that we need to turn because God cares for us. That's why. We hear in Ezekiel, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, 
declares the sovereign, sovereign Lord, repent and live. A lot of times people like to talk about repentance as some sort of shameful thing because we're talking about the evil things that we're turning away from. But every time that the Lord mentions repentance in the scriptures, in the whole of the Old and New Testament, it's coupled with this idea of living afterwards. Death never follows repentance. Life always follows repentance. When we turn to a loving God, we always find life after repentance. And so we see here that communal repentance, if we're talking about this in the context of our nation, we can see through the pages of Scripture, it's not just limited to Israel as a nation. God extends repentance to all people at all different times. And so we're not excluded from that here in the United States of America. It's biblical communal repentance. We see it all through the pages of Scripture. And it's powerful. When a nation truly turns, it's a powerful and beautiful expression of worship and allegiance to God alone. And I'm not so sure we've figured that out as a nation yet. I'd say South Africa would be the closest example to national repentance that we've seen from the apartheid regime back in the 80s and when Nelson Mandela led that nation out of apartheid. I'm not so sure we've seen that as a nation. Yeah, we might have a national day of prayer. We may have like a national prayer breakfast that a political leader or senators or whoever may show up to once in a while. But a lot of times, that event, that National Day of Prayer, I don't know if you've noticed, has just extended to one side of a political aisle. I'm talking about national repentance. You say, well, what's my role in that? I mean, I didn't commit the sin of slavery 400 years ago. I didn't enslave any human being. That's not on me. That's not even on my ancestors. I'm not even from the South, you might say. Listen, guys. Look, Scripture is so clear time after time and time again that we're all woven from the same thread. And the same darkness that ran in the slaveholders' veins runs in all of our veins today. And acknowledging that before a loving God allows us freedom to repent of their sins too. Can we wrap our hearts around that, that it's not a bad thing to repent from our forefathers' sins, that it's actually a good thing and actually leads us to life? It's actually a win-win all, from all different angles. It's biblical and it's powerful. In 2 Chronicles, you may be familiar with this verse. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we read this. If my people, God is talking about his beloved, Israel. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, healing and forgiveness and joy and peace and unity cannot come from any other way than from repentance. The road of repentance is the way to all of these things that we're hearing quite a bit of right now in the political climate that we live in and in society. We're hearing of like reaching across the aisle politically and all of these things and we're, we're marching in the street for unborn babies, but we're unwilling to repent of the sins of our forefathers and of our nation's sins. Because we say, well, I've already repented individually. What difference does it make if I repent for their sins or not? You guys, it starts with us, with the church. Healing starts with us. The road to healing, the road to forgiveness, we see right here in Chronicles, is the road of repentance. And Nehemiah, check out this beautiful picture of what national repentance looks like, what communal repentance looks like. Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their foreheads. Those, I told you it was a more somber kind of festival, right? I already did mention that. Ashes on the head, sackcloth. Those of, Israel, uh, dis, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Huh. The Israelites did it. They confessed the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the word their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So we're going to do just that this morning. Are you guys ready on the live stream? This is the first quarter. We'll be here until 5 p.m. tonight. Buckle up. It's going to be a long one. (laughs) JK, LOL. We're not going to be here until 5 o'clock. Almost done, actually. But what a beautiful picture of what national repentance looks like. You know, quarter of the day. When was the last time individually I spent a quarter of my day in repentance and turning? Does, is that how long it takes? It takes a long time with me to realize and acknowledge and confess my sin before God. You guys may be a little bit quicker than I am, but gosh, I want to know that the way national repentance looks like. And Jesus sees nations too. A lot of times when we like to juxtapose communal repentance against individual repentance, we say, well, since the cross, God doesn't see nations like that. Well, he does. Jesus does. If Jesus is a spitting image of the Father, listen to what Jesus says from the lips of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-one through 24. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Wow. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. Will you go down to the depths? If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that if it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus sees in nations as well. And Jesus isn't just calling the Jewish people here when Jesus hits the scene to repentance. Of course he is. He's calling his own people towards repentance. And that's a model for us as well. 